So I started um, a series, it was last October, and it was called The Corruption of Divine Purpose. And it's not one of those series where you need to listen to everything in order. It's a verse, it's a passage out of God's Word that has this list of things, and I'm just going to go through those. So, But I do want to review each time and unpack kind of why uh, I'm talking about this and why this is important for us to see from God's Word. So you can go to October 12th um, on our website, and uh, the podcast will be there. You can listen to that. And also, what's cool to me is, is I didn't realize that last time, but our theme this year is living on purpose. And so this whole series is the corruption of divine purpose. So while we're pressing in to, to live purposeful lives for the kingdom, of course, the enemy wants to come and corrupt that. He wants to figure out how to, how to get us off that path. So I thought, well, Holy Spirit, aren't you awesome? Aren't you awesome? There's a lot of times as a, as a teacher, as a pastor teacher, I second guess myself, wow, am I supposed to be teaching this? What do you want, Lord? And I just love it when he, the Holy Spirit just confirms that, that, okay, you're on the right path. So amen. Uh, God has created all of us with a divine purpose. It's good news. And our destiny is in Him. And apart from Him, we really have no purpose. The Westminster Catechism, Catechism says this, that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I just love that. I always remember that from grad school. That is the most simple statement about what God has created us to do. And so the opposite of that divine purpose... I like to think in terms of both sides. If the enemy wrote a mission statement, and a lot of people are living according to this, unfortunately, it would be that man's chief end is to find glory in himself and pursue his own interests. And boy, isn't that like the world we live in today? Aren't we surrounded with, with that kind of idea? And far be it from us as believers to do that. Or it could read, man's chief end is to deny the purposes of God and to be separated from him forever. I think most people living for themselves, if you put it to them that way, they'd be a little bit like, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm living in such a way that I'm going to separate myself from you forever. And that's the truth about hell. And that's the truth about eternity. So if we love our neighbors, we want to let them know that too. Come on, someone. So while that sounds absurd to us as believers, uh, we have to realize our hearts are subject to the fallen sin nature. We don't escape it. Um, the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome it. But every day we're waiting to be led in either direction at any time, both in big ways and in small ways. So daily before us, we have this road. We have this split opportunity. Take the road to God's glory or take the road to self-glory. How are you doing today? <laughs> Did you take the wrong road a couple times? It's okay. We all do it. Just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm getting back on your road. And so here's this key truth here, and this will preach in any context, and I think it helps undergird this, but it's good for what it's worth. The things that are fed and nourished will always grow. Did you know that? The things that are deprived of growth environments will struggle to grow. That sounds simple, but that's the truth. So, Step further, if there's two competing elements in a growth environment, the healthy element will choke out the unhealthy element. I learned this last fall when I rehabbed my yard, that when there's a ton of weeds, it's hard to grow grass. Once you overcome the weeds, get the grass going, and it gets healthy, thick, and lush, the weeds actually have a harder time thriving. So it's what you're feeding, and what's healthy is going to grow. And you know you can feed the wrong things and grow the wrong things, and it'll, and it'll choke out the good things. So when, when God things are growing, everyone say God things. I'm just making sure you're here tonight. 
and conditions are kept so that God things keep growing, then the tricks and traps of the enemy will be hindered from growing. That's the key there. It's simple. It's not easy. But when the elements the enemy prizes and values are growing, then the God things will be hindered and stifled from growing. Why am I saying all this? Because the passage we're looking at are all the things God hates, and it's what the enemy wants us to do. So we need to be aware of it. So the whole idea is to know what God wants to grow and what God absolutely does not want to grow. And in this verse we're going to look at, these are the things he absolutely does not want to grow. We need to know this so we will give the right environment for the God things and eliminate potential for any kind of growth initiated by the enemy. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap great spiritual rewards. We will glorify God and we will advance the kingdom. Amen. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap fleshly rewards. And we deny the glory that belongs to God and will be ineffective as partners in growing and expanding the kingdom of God. It's really simple. Uh, on my vacation, I sowed to the flesh. Now, I'm on kind of a special diet, and every once in a while I say, eh, it won't hurt for me to indulge a little off this diet. Um, and I didn't go a little off the path. I went a lot off the path, and I paid a dear price for that. It was, it was agonizing, and I sowed to what my flesh wanted. Like, oh, the seventh brownie isn't that bad, is it? Uh, but the Spirit was saying no, and I ignored it. So, he who is without sin cast the first brownie, right? So, we're going to look at these elements in this series. We have been looking at them. And these are uh, elements that create environments and opportunities for growth. And this is a list of things the Bible says God hates. So, as we dig into this, what's wrong about these things, why God hates them, we're also going to look at what his divine purpose, remember it's about purpose, what his divine purpose is for these things. We need to know what he intended for them to bring him glory and live out our divine purpose. You know, it's okay to tell your kids, hey, don't do that, don't do that, avoid this, not that. But they also need to know the other side. You know, why? What, what's important about this? Give me the whole picture of the truth so, that I, so they can understand and they can learn some painful lessons They'll get the why behind the what, but you don't just say no, no, no all the time. You know, when God says no, he has a whole bunch of other yeses he wants us to walk into. So people think, you know, you Christians are boring and limited. Oh, we have so much freedom. There's just a few things we need to make sure we agree with God on the nose. So we need to become aware how systematically the enemy wants to use the parts that God created for glory and twist them and pervert them and corrupting them. That's why I'm calling this the corruption of divine purpose. You know, our cars up here in the Northeast, you drive a car for a couple of years and all of a sudden you get that rust, right? Well, that's the corruption of the metal from the elements, from salt and all that. So what once was shiny and new, you know, all of a sudden is getting corrupted and it's because those corrosive elements are allowed in. What God created, as this verse is going to show us, for oneness, for unity, for divine partnership, both with him and with one another. He created for kingdom collaboration. That's always going to be under attack from the enemy. I love the word collaboration, co-labor, co-labor. Let's collaborate. Let's collaborate in the kingdom. You're not a lone person in the kingdom of God. You're collaborating with the other members of the body of Christ. The enemy's plan is always disunity, independence. Boy, we like that word in America, don't we? But we forget that we need to depend on the Lord. We need to depend on one another. 
It's not about our freedom to the expense of someone else. It's about the freedom we have in Christ and the great privilege we have to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. His enemy is division. His, his plan is division. His plan is strife. His plan is discord. And all these things God hates. God hates the plan of the enemy. Why would you partner with the enemy's plan if God says, I hate these things? So here's the key verse. Let's take a, a dive into it. Proverbs 6, verse 16. I won't go super long. Like I said, I'm not feeling the best tonight. And uh, I did want uh, Doug and Andrea to come back up and give us an opportunity just to respond to, to the word and, and do, Lord, I give you my heart again. It was so powerful. There's such a presence on that song tonight. And I just know... God's going to do something in our hearts. So he says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, and, and the rest of tonight I'm going to finish what I started on, in the first time on the eyes. So haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who declares lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. There's not a lot in Scripture where God just comes out and says, I absolutely hate this. But here's a list right there, and it's a good one for us to understand. This is why I'm doing a series on it. So whenever we look in the Old Covenant, we look at Proverbs, Psalms, Lamentations, different parts of the prophetic writings, we need to understand this is wisdom literature. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it was written a specific way um, by the culture at the time, by the, the people who wrote in Hebrew. And God um, uses this language. It's the language he chose to teach us, and there's such rich depth there. So this, is, this um, passage is Hebrew poetry, and Hebrew poetry is very dense. It often uses just a few words to create very rich and deep content. So often there's wordplay used. And if you don't understand what the Hebrew word, you're not supposed to, you know, learn Hebrew. But oftentimes, if you don't know that, you won't know that they're playing with words. And words that only have like one or two letters different are used intentionally to get your attention. So there's wordplay. Um, and often there's a sequential building, which happens to be in this verse. And the scholars have called this the numeric ladder. It's also referred to as a number, number plus one. Why? Because he says six things than the seventh, right? Makes sense? Did I lose you yet? Amen. When literature does this, the number and number plus one opening statement, that's the answer key to the entire list, meaning the lower number of things build towards and reinforce the conclusion of the final statement, okay? So the six things is really saying all these things equal the final statement, and God really hates that final statement. And so this text is saying... Uh, there's, it describes both a process and a detailed uh, descriptive picture of the type of behavior evident that results in discord among the brethren. Discord among the brethren. So think about it. We're God's people. We're living in his kingdom, right? It's a kingdom of we, not a kingdom of me. Did you know that? It's a kingdom of we. Individuals by themselves can't live out God's purpose on the earth. He didn't even... At the beginning, it was Adam and Eve. There's not one person. There's, there's a need for, for multiple people and for a family. Come on, somebody. His purpose comes through his people collectively through his body. We are the body of Christ. 
I am just one piece, whatever part I am, if I'm the toe or the pinky or the earlobe or whatever, but I'm just one piece, and then you have a piece, and together we make the body of Christ. So while we often think in terms of God's blessing in our lives, and that's okay to think about your family and individually how you respond to God uh, by faith, and Karen talked to us a lot about that uh, recently, about faith, Uh, and his purpose, of course, is always going to be to move into our lives with life, with health, with oneness, with completeness, with fruitfulness, with blessing, amen, and righteousness. But see, these things still are in the context of being interdependent with his body, both with him as the divine. Jesus is the body, divine spiritually, but do you know you're his body physically on the earth? So when Jesus walked the earth, he was fully man, fully God. Now he's fully God present within us, and we're fully men, so we're combined. But it's both and, it's not one or the other. So in this passage, I think this is so cool because it's, it's an anti-creation. How many days did it take God to create? Six, right? And the seventh, he rested. We're looking at six things God hates, and the seventh, that's an abomination. So instead of it being good, say, think about this. On day six, humans... Mankind, the pinnacle of God's divine purpose as recipients and participants of creation were created. He made us on day six. He created man and woman, and he, and he made our mandate to be fruitful, to rule, and to have dominion. And he called us very good, and he invited us to rule with him. And see, that's the seventh day. We talk about Sabbath and resting and not doing a lot of work, but the Sabbath is really, an, it, it, the work is creation, and the rest is ruling. Did you know that? You're made to work. You're made to steward what God has given you. So we don't just sit around and do nothing all day. We still work. But when you do it with the Lord, you're partnering with him in rest. And I won't get into that's another deep um, teaching on a Hebrew word there, but is that making sense there? So the text is a decreation narrative. It's a warning. It's warning us against the pro-enemy, anti-divine plan. Six things God hates culminating in division and destruction. So in this verse, instead of saying that God is good, which he said it's good, uh, instead of being able to speak openly and honestly with the Lord like they did before the fall and using our hands to tend and care for the earth, walking about in perfect fellowship with the Father in the cool of the day, can you imagine what that must have been like? you know we're going to be there again one day. We're just in a little bit of sin soup right now, but we're going there. We're ushering in the kingdom. We get tastes of it. We get drips and drabs, but boy, won't it be beautiful when we're back to that place of total restored. And so, you know, we were supposed to bear witness to the plan and purpose of the goodness of God and the purpose of God. Um, But instead of that, unfortunately, we see the corruption of every one of those divine purposes laid out in this verse. So let's dive back into kind of the second portion of the eyes, the haughty eyes. And now I'm going to talk about the purpose of our eyes. You know, haughty is very self-aggrandizing, self-elevating, prideful. I don't need the Lord. I don't need you. I'm I'm good. I look down with disdain on somebody else. That's, That's all haughtiness. Well, God hates that. And what does he want from our eyes? Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. See, Eve sinned, going back to the fall, Eve sinned with when her eyes told her the fruit was good to eat. Now, it's fascinating to me. 
Her eyes didn't deceive her because everything God created was good. And that tree was good and that fruit was good, but it was not good for humanity. He said, do not eat that, do not touch that. And so the eyes, seeing that was good, made a wrong choice because God said, do not eat that. So here's a t- this, this, will, this will deliver you tonight. It's for the Lord to determine for us what is good for us. And it's the Lord determines for us and he asks us to obey him. And there's some things I don't understand why, Lord, but if you say, yes, Lord, get this, partaking of the wrong good thing will be our undoing. Partaking of the wrong good thing. The wrong application of the right thing is still sin. Wow, your head should explode. Wow. You can do good things and sin. You can do the wrong good thing because if God implicitly says do not do that and you do that, partaking of the wrong good will be our undoing. The application of the right, uh, the wrong application of the right thing is sin. So think about Lucifer. He was created with this, this beautiful just innate awe, wonder, and splendor and it was supposed to radiate and reflect the glory of God and that was good, but what did he end up doing? He said, no, I need this for myself. I want, I want you to worship me. I'm not going to worship the Lord with that. And so this is why we need the word of God, going back to the verse I just read, to correct our eyesight and keep it pure and uncorrupted. Because there's a lot of things in the wor- world that look good, but the word of God will tell you, oh, no, 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 not that, not there. Amen? Psalm 119, 130 The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Ah, when I look into the word, I start to see. More word, more light. Who's got a good old-fashioned, big, heavy paper Bible with them tonight? Nobody? You're all electronic devices. Hold that up, Pastor Maureen. More word, more light. Yes, more word, more light more light. I just wanted to hold it up, but all I got is this iPad. It's not a good, it's got the word on it, but you know what I'm saying? More world, more dark. More word, more light, more world, more dark. That's my play on words. There's only one letter difference between the word and the world, lest you mistake the two. The intake of God's word in whatever form, read it, listen, a lot of people are like, eh, I don't like to read. Listen to it, then put it on. So many of the Bible um, in the U version just have the one where they'll read to you, meditating on it, speaking. It's light. When you hear me preaching the Word of God, there should be um, light going off. It illuminates our hearts. It illuminates our path and our purpose and our direction. The more Word we receive, the more Word we see. I love this. You know, you keep studying the Word and you see something, and then you see the next thing because you saw this thing. Like he pulls you to that next level of, ah, revelation, ah, revelation, ah. But you have to start somewhere. You have to first start by getting the word in. And then you get that word in. So the more word we receive, the more word we see. And then the more we perceive, the more revelations we receive. The more word we see, the more we see where the word is needed. You start getting the revelation, and then all of those dark spots start becoming very, very glaring. Should I kick this back just a little? Am I two finger? It's too close. 
I was probably worshiping too hard and it got all discombobulated. (laughs) The more word we see, the more we will see where the word is needed. Then we'll see where the word needs to be seated. Okay? You don't just sit on it. Then you go, ah, let, let me sow this. Let me sow it into Bob's life. Let me sow it into Pastor Jim's life. Haughty eyes come and we stop seeing the word. We've been there and done that. We've, like, we've seen it all. We've heard it all. Your messages are too simple and boring for me. Oh, no, no. The word of God is the word of God. Just always get to that place where I'm going to receive this. I'm going to take it in deep. I'm going to keep chewing on it. I'm going to keep meditating on that. Haughty eyes come and we stop seeing the word. The opposite is true. The more word we see, the more word we need. And then I love that too. All of a sudden you have this insatiable hunger for the word of God. You get your diet lined up to the right things. And then the depths of his word are inexhaustible. And the application of his word in our lives and through our lives, that's like infinite daily. I'm practicing trombone for a trip to South Africa. I'm taking what the jazz group. And probably more than any time in recent history, I've really hit that dedication practice mode hard. And I'm trying to learn jazz. I mean, it takes a lifetime. And um, what I'm realizing is the more I dig into and start learning some things, then I start seeing more things that, oh, this connects to this. Oh, this makes sense. I can do this. I can play this. But it's, it, it takes a long time. It's just hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. And I guess the sad thing is a lot of times we lose sight of that and we'll just back off. We'll kind of, the word will come back to just kind of a casual every once in a while glance at it. But you need to dive back in because God just wants to take you deeper and show you more and more and more and more. Isaiah 32, 3, then the eyes of those who see will not be blinded. Have you ever heard this phrase, when the student is ready, the teacher appears? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. When I was young, I thought I knew everything and I didn't have much to learn from people. And then when you realize I can learn something from somebody else, you become a student because you're teachable. That's the one thing we, as pastors, just our, our hope and prayer would be that every single person would remain teachable. We're never going to know everything. And there's always, you know, don't judge a person by what you think they look like or they might not be great at a lot of things, but there's something you can learn from someone else. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. When our hearts are humble and our eyes are not haughty, but they're open to see, then the scales fall off and we're blind no more to the perfect plan and will of God for our lives. So this is our constant prayer for continual revelation, a continual light pouring in and light pouring out through our eyes. You notice someone who just has the joy of the Lord and the word of God, their, their eyes are bright. It it's not only goes into them, it comes out of them. They just shine. You just look at them and there's a good report and there's a good word and I love that. Light can pour in and out of us, and then it fuels our hope. And when hope is fueled by a revelation of the Word of God, then faith has something to grab hold of and grow. And grow. A seed of faith can become a mighty tree, nourishing the body and expanding the kingdom. And then our eyes begin to see and evaluate the true riches. We might start to see how valuable others are around us. Ephesians 1.18. This is the purpose 
of our eyes, the opposite of haughty eyes that God absolutely hates. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. How many of you remember, I don't think this show's on anymore, the Antique Road Show? You see that? Um, they bring some old thing they found in the attic, and of course they're on there because a lot of people are discovering rare and valuable things. But to the untrained eye, whatever it is they're bringing in, they don't know the treasure they have. Their eyes aren't open to it. And then all of a sudden the expert looks at it and says, this thing is like worth $8,000. You know, I just thought it was a crazy, evil-looking Cupid doll that was, you know, in my attic or whatever. And so you don't know what you have until God reveals that to you. Then you can see it. It's often right in front of us, but we're blind to it. And that's one of my favorite prayers. Pray that daily. The eyes of my heart would be enlightened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's a great song. We should, we should probably sing it again. Luke 4.18. I love what Jesus does here. Uh, he's quoting the Old Testament scroll, the prophetic scroll. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. Here's the original quote, Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners. If we take a look at these passages next to each other, Jesus added something. Recovery of sight to the blind. See, this is the purpose of the anointing. Christ, the anointed one, is to recover the original purpose of our eyes. What was concealed in the old covenant is now revealed through Christ. That's why he said, yes, I'm anointed to do these things, but I'm now saying the eyes of your heart are going to be opened. His anointing, the Holy Spirit anointing, gives us true sight and restores us to his divine purpose for our lives. One of the things it does is show us that Jesus is the theme of the Old Covenant. His anointing is to reveal what has been concealed. I just said that. See, the Jews will have a veil remaining until they see with the help of the yoke-breaking anointing of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Not going to see it until they receive Messiah. The good news he proclaimed, the good news that he is, is that we once were blind, but now we see. We're now able to see by the Spirit of God what He desires us to see. We're now able to use our eyes for God's divine purpose in us and through us. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. So this passage follows kind of the proverb path that, that we're studying here. It can't get into your heart unless it gets into your eyes. took Christine a long time to truly see how wonderful I was. <laughs> and then when, when you saw it, right, you just, instant love. I remember the night she, I gave her, I gave her uh, the little picture. You know, they took those yearbook pictures and then give you the proof copy. And I gave it to her. She was like, man, when you gave me that picture, all of a sudden I knew something special. And here we are. Praise God. 
It can't get into your heart unless it gets into your eyes. There's a lot of people I, I've, I've led over the years and just thought, man, if you just open your eyes, this will get into your heart and things will be different. But you can't force people to see what they're, what they're not willing to see. But that saying is true. When the student's ready, the teacher appears. If our eyes have been corrupted or are being corrupted by the enemy, you'll never be humble enough to truly see with the eyes of the Spirit. It takes humility. It takes making yourself low. And we won't allow the things of the Spirit of God to enter our heart if we're haughty. Paul goes on to say, and I'm going to get to that in a second, that they have been revealed to us by the Spirit. So Luke, this Luke 4.18 passage, it's Jesus is showing us the anointing of discernment. He came and gave us the Holy Spirit so our eyes will be restored to his divine purpose to discern by the Spirit how to live out our divine purpose in this time in alignment with his church. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on today. I was home, uh, working from home and resting a little bit and catching up with the news. And unfortunately, man, for such a time as this, believers, we are called to shine as lights and pray and intercede. And there's a lot of crazy events going on in this, in this world. And I, and I believe with all my heart, Jesus is coming very soon. He may come right now, right here, while we're just we're hearing from his word and worshiping worshiping him even so come quickly Lord Jesus come quickly the eyes of the flesh will miss it every time the eyes of the spirit will receive our divine purpose and destiny in him the eyes of the spirit will be able to walk into all that God has prepared for those who love him going back to that verse you don't have to throw it up there the last thing said all that God has prepared for those who love him notice it isn't available to those whom he loves. You know, he loves everybody. He loves the whole cosmos, for God so loves the world. Pastor Walt always said, that's the cosmos. That's everything. That's creation. He loves all of us. But the preparations of God unfold in the lives of those who see with the eyes of the Spirit as we respond to his love with our love for those who loved him. The things that he has prepared for us get revealed when we respond and say, yes, I love you, Lord. I give my life for you. Otherwise, it's not there. That's a covenant reciprocal uh, conditional promise. Maybe we'll talk about that in a series coming up. So we love him by walking in the full revelation of his word and obeying all that he instructs us to do. Isaiah 64, 4. Getting kind of close to the end here. Thank you, Lord. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has, I, has the eye seen a God beside you who acts in behalf of one who waits for him. This is what Paul was quoting here. This one and only true God is revealed as we look to him. He acts in behalf of those who wait for him. Same thing as those whose hearts are loyal to him, those who behold him, to those who look into the spirit realm with the eyes of our spirit, 1 Corinthians 2.10. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Haughty eyes look unto themselves. Hungry eyes look to the Lord. I'm hungry for you, Lord. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for your goodness. I'm looking for you in the word. I'm looking for you everywhere. That's where my gaze is. The uncorrupted purpose for our eyes is to look up. I remember it was a couple Sundays ago, I said, we're either up or we're getting up, right? And it sure helps you to get up if you at first look up. If you're just staring at the ground, if you're just staring at the dark, the bad, 
Once you lift your, your eyes up, then things change. Your attitude changes. That's a pilot term, Pastor Jim knows. Your attitude changes when your nose is up. Your eyes are up. The uncorrupted purpose for our eyes is to look up. It will move, we will move in the direction of our gaze. You know that? We just drove a long way from New York and we're going by things and every once in a while Allegra or Christine will be like, hey, look at that. And guess what James does? He looks at that and then guess what? Where the car goes. So you can keep your eyes on the road otherwise we're going to end up in the ditch because we will move in the direction of our gaze. And so our eyes are created to look to him. Our help and our inspiration comes from the object of our gaze. Whatever you're looking at to help, that's going to be your help. Worthless idols are of no help to you. They will destroy you. Our help comes from on high. Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He's the high and exalted one. Heaven is his place of rule and reign, and so our gaze, our eyes should be fixed on him and where he is seated in heavenly places and where he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. I'm not advocating not being aware of current events, but just hear me when I say we need to stop looking at the affairs of men. We just need to stop looking at that so intently and trying to get something from that. Much of the news anyway is just gossip about people's lives that's none of our business, and it's really sad and pathetic. We need to stop looking at the politics of men because they're, they're failing miserably. Uh, we need to think about the government of God and the kingdom of God as opposed to the politics of men. The solution of the earth realm is not where, where to look to. Keep your eyes um, away from the inflation, the crime, nightly news. It's all murders, the evil of humanity. And, and the only thing that inspires me by that is, boy, people need Jesus. And boy, do I need to let people know he's their savior. I don't need to look at any of that to know <laughs> it's there, of course, and that the sinful condition of man is going to, to corrupt and pollute the earth. I need to look up where salvation comes from, to envision help from heaven changing the atmosphere of earth, Heaven's worship on earth, glory to God. I need to look up and see how God wants to use me to point others in the right direction, to lift the heads, amen. To lift the heads and the eyes of the downcast up to see the source of their redemption. Every now and then something weird happens in our neighborhood and everyone will go out of their houses and look up. And what do you do when you see someone else out there looking up? What's up there? I don't know. Is that the space shuttle? When they see you looking up, they're going to go, what's up there? That's the Lord. That's Jesus. If our eyes are fixed on him, then we will continue to look for his return. Continue to look for his return, Luke 21, 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Keep your eyes fixed on the heavens. He's coming soon, Titus 2, 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Just look up and look for him. You won't notice your problems so much, right? And you won't be worried about someone else's business. When our eyes are fixed on him and on his soon return, we will busy ourselves with kingdom priorities. So there's something that happens when you change your gaze, you, you fix your eyes on the Lord, and that's what he's, the divine purpose for your eyes. All of a sudden, you have kingdom priorities. All of a sudden, the uncorrupted purpose of your eyes comes to full fruition. Hebrews 12 
Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, of our faith. Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look directly ahead toward the path of moral courage, Amplified says, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you toward the path of integrity. Just thinking about the eyes for a minute, husbands and wives will know this, parents, children, there's really no honesty or intimacy without eye contact. Do you realize that? What happens when your kid's trying to hide the dirty deed? They're not going to look at you. Your dog looks away when you say, did you do that? Uh, no eye contact, right? So the Lord is looking with his eyes at us for our eyes. He's looking. And he doesn't want to look at the top of your head or the back of your head. He doesn't want you to be running from him. He wants to, to meet that gaze from his to yours. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Wow, he's just looking for you to look up and say, I'm peer towards you, Lord. You know, perf a perfect heart has nothing to hide. And it doesn't mean our walk is perfect. You and I will always stumble and get sidetracked, but as long as we get back on course, and we don't have a perfect record. How many of you have never sinned? Raise your hand. Nobody. But it means we can honestly look into his eyes and accept, I accept what you've done for me. I'm not ashamed. I know I'm, I'm not perfect. I receive it, and I just want to live for you, Lord. I just repent every day. I'm sorry for not living up to your, to your purpose, but Lord, help me today. Psalm 102, 18, just about done. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord for he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked upon the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death so that people may tell of the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. When our eyes meet His, there's an irresistible desire to talk about it. Come on, when you first fell in love, what did you do? All you talked about was your new boyfriend or girlfriend, right? You can't help it. That intimacy is amazing. When you feel loved, you tell people about it. I feel loved. Elf, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. He's just proclaiming it, right? The God who created me loves me so much, and he hears my cry, he hears my prayer, and he's watching over me, and he, he's watching over his word to perform it in my life. So I just have a challenge and a question for you tonight, because we know God hates haughty eyes, and most of us would say, well, I don't have haughty eyes, but that statement in itself might be a little haughty. Can we just refocus our eyes on the Lord tonight? Maybe you think you're doing great. You can always do better, right? Can we rededicate our eyes for his divine purpose? Let's have some, uh, some worship. I don't know where they went. They're coming. They know. Let's renounce the enemy's plan to corrupt our eyes.
and corrupt our purpose. You know the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. Did you stop resisting the devil? No, you have to. You need to, you need to resist him. So you're invited. I want you, if, if you know, come to the altar, have some time with the Lord. And tonight's about the eyes. And we talked about looking into the word. We talked about looking up. Whatever it is you need to be refreshed in this purpose, come on up. They're going to minister a song. And there's a, there's a prayer I wrote at the end of, of week one. And I really feel like the Lord wants me to pray this over. You can agree. You don't have to say it. Um, every time I teach through the series, because it's really a dedication, a recommitment for the purposes of God. And so let's pray. And then Doug and Andrea will minister. And you're free to come up. And um, I'm going to disappear and go home and get better. So they will release you. So Father, Lord, help us recover your heart. You can play. Go ahead. Help us recover your heart and your desire uh, to be co-creators with us. Lord, we need a fresh revelation of our role in living as redemptive kingdom-expanding partners with your anointed one, Jesus. The enemy wants to corrupt every part of us that you have designed for your purpose and for your glory. Lord, help us to recognize the enemy's plan for decreation so we can resist him. Help us to see clearly with the eyes of the Spirit the full truth and scope of your word for our lives tonight. Lord, I repent. May we repent. Let not haughtiness be found in us, nor in any believer in our midst, especially who calls grace and peace home. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. We rededicate our eyes to you right now for, our, for your purpose. We rededicate our tongue to you right now. We rededicate our hands to you right now. We rededicate our feet to you right now. We recommit to be a true and reliable witness of your word. We want to experience unity in your body. We want to be one with you as you and the Father are one. Lord, I pray you continue to anoint this series whenever I'm able to bring it. Continue to bring light at the entrance of your word as it is studied, meditated upon, and taught to the people. Thank you, Lord, for being gracious, loving, and patient with us as we're continually working out our salvation with fear and trembling. As you are perfecting all that concerns us, in Jesus' name, amen.